to another special edition of the ACC Basketball Degenerates Podcast, another guest episode. We've got a double dose in store this evening. Taylor, welcome. Welcome. It's you and I. It's a special edition, just the two of us. We're the questionnaires. Plus, plus we're the two special guests. We're the interrogators. Some people call us. Yeah, and we're really excited for these two guests. One of them, you know well, if you listen to this program for its first three seasons. And the other one. A first-time appearance on the way. So, let's dig into it. A rising star. Probably not fair to call him that. An established star. First time appearing on our podcast. He's a scout. Okay, there we go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, he's back. I believe he was the first guest on this podcast three years ago. But he needs no introduction. However, I'm going to give him an introduction, okay? He drives the bandwagon for his alma mater. And that bandwagon is about to quadruple come Friday night. I'm sorry, Kim, but Judgment Day is on the way. You're going to get a lot more followers of your Virginia Tech Hokie basketball team. Anyway, let's welcome into the program author of The Pomeroy Numbers. That's what I like to call it, but you can call it KenPom.com. The ratings, the website uh, that's taking college basketball by storm. Let's welcome him back in. Ken, welcome. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Well, let's start with your, your team. Okay, we love jabbing back and forth because I'm a Charlottesville guy, and you attended the school, which is also referred to as VPI. But a great start to the year, winning the Classic in Charleston last night. And I'm going to ask you an analytics question about the Hokies because the one thing I've witnessed about this team under Buzz is there is an absolute emphasis on getting to the line. Let's talk about getting to the line. Let's talk about drawing fouls. Can you conjecture into how you even coach that? Can you coach contact? Tell me the numbers you're seeing with teams getting to the stripe in general with all your ratings, and uh, you can bring it back home to Virginia Tech. Well, yeah. I mean, can you coach it? I think you can find coaches that have consistent success doing that. So uh, that tells me that you can coach it. Uh, you know, how you do that, I think, is another matter that I would have more difficulty explaining in terms that a fellow coach might respect, but, but, but there's no doubt you can, you can coach it. I, the thing is like Virginia tech really hasn't gone to the line that much this year. That hasn't been, uh, you know, their specialty here through four games. I mean, it, I would imagine that will improve over time, but, uh, um, last night was a good start. It was a good start last night. I thought. Yeah, certainly. I mean, Hey, uh, you know, the way that they were able to kind of persevere, uh, overcome, uh, you know, the early deficit against a quality team, I think, uh, bodes well. And um, certainly the way they've been able to consistently score the basketball has uh, served them well also. The defense is uh, a little lacking at the moment, but uh, they've you know basically scored enough for it not to be a huge concern at this point. We might just circle back to VT and their three-point percentage, but this is my favorite question every single year when we have you on. When you do the preseason ratings and you spit in the data and it spits something back out at you, what was your biggest surprise as far as teams being a little bit higher than perhaps your heart or, or I don't know, your recollections would suggest? And, and what team popped up a little bit lower? Yeah, so now it's like hard to, it's hard to answer that objectively because I definitely had certain feelings back then. Because you've I, turned yourself into think... a cyborg. That's what's happened. You've turned well, yourself into a machine. I mean, well, I'm just saying it's, it's hard to be objective because now we have results and I feel like whatever my true feelings were uh, in, you know, April or whatever, when I first ran this stuff, you know, I, I can't exactly remember <laughs> what they were. I, you know, Syracuse always seemed like they were 
too highly rated. And obviously they've, you know, proven that early in the season. I mean, they were, I think they were eighth in my, in my yeah, preseason season. We fell into the trap as well. Don't worry. You're not alone. We fell into that trap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we want to keep it in the ACC, you know, Miami probably to, I, you know, around the 20th mark. And obviously that included, uh, you know, having Dewan Hernandez in there, and and it doesn't look like he's going to be around. So not high uh, enough. Him, they... Put him in the top five for me. <laughs> Let's go, Canes and the Natty. Yeah, they're a little little thin at this point, but uh, those are a couple. Those are a couple. Uh, who was too low? Uh, I don't know that I anybody pops out at the moment. I mean, did you have any ideas? Do you have an answer you were looking for here? I don't think I had an answer to the question. I really don't think I did. So uh, I'm I pretty much am in agreement with a lot of the, what the preseason numbers spat out. And I, I'm basically looking at the top ten, though. I'm not really tracking down like to the 30s and having you know those indignant right. fan. Oh, I'm a I'm an Ohio State fan. How dare you have us at 30? So right. I'm I'm not really looking that deep into it. But you know, it's just just a question to go yeah. off of. Well, Ken, let me let I mean, me I ask get, you about. Two- I get a lot of that, you know, like like this team's too low, you know, and they're all in the thirties and stuff like that. You'll, I was pretty happy with the top ten. You'll get numb to it soon. I mean, what what are we in? I mean, right. you have data tracking back all the way to two thousand two, but you'll get numb soon. Trust me, it's only a matter <laughs> of time when when people come at you on Twitter and call you in. But Taylor, go ahead. You had a question. Here's two a question about two teams that are in your top ten and recently changed. So UNC just passed UVA to go to number three. North Carolina is now your third ranked team. Uh, Virginia's are fourth. So numbers aside, both the teams are good. We'll just say that established. Numbers aside, you tell me, you Ken Pomeroy, which of these teams is better? Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with the computer. I would go with North Carolina. Um, I mean, you're putting me in the awkward position of sort of making it seem like I don't like UVA as you know a very very good team, and I, I do. I mean, I think both those teams are very good. I'm going to you know I'm. How can I not be tainted by how last year ended, uh, first of all? But second of all, I just think Carolina's just got a little bit more talent. They're, they're deeper. They're more balanced. Uh, I mean, to me, I'm not convinced that Virginia has, like, that top, you know, 20-type offense that uh, they really need, I think, to compete for, for a national title in the non-Duke division. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that would be my concern is that, you know, it's just still a little, you know, they just – if Virginia gets that top 10 offense, then, oh, watch out. But if they're not top 10, if they're like, you know, 15 to 20, then they're, they're merely a, a top five team and not a team that, you know, can ch- challenge for an ACC title. Let's stay with Virginia. And, and I'm interested that you brought up the offense. I expect their offense to be a little bit, much better than it was last season. But one thing that doesn't really get brought up often when you're looking at Virginia, there's this narrative floating out there with the national media that, well, you know, they're always going to be in close games and anyone can beat them and their leads are going to be slim. But if we're looking at last year's data, I mean, uh, they went in, in Blacksburg by 26, they beat Clemson by 25, they beat NC State by 17, they beat Syracuse by 15, they beat Pitt, Pitt by 29, even though that's not saying much uh, under, you know, Stallings. And then they beat Louisville by 17 in the ACC tournament. Is anybody paying attention to the margin of victory victory out there, and especially when you look at Virginia, because it is a very large margin? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, you're, you're not talking to somebody who uh, who is concerned about Virginia being in a bunch of close games. I mean, look, last year their regular season was better than anybody in the country. They had the best regular season in the country. There's no no question about that. 
What about uh, the postseason? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> postseason was, was not the best in the country. Uh, but uh, certainly, I mean, the reason, you know, the reason I say that the regular season was the best is not just because of the wins, although you can, just, you can ignore margin of victory and just look at the wins and come to that conclusion, but certainly you throw in the margin of victory, and uh, that just kind of cements it. So, uh, and that's not a fluke. I mean, I, there might be, you know, uh, there's certainly some maybe slightly different dynamics that are needed to win the tournament than dominate the regular season, but they're fairly similar. You have to think they're fairly similar. So uh, the fact that they did that, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how you could have too much doubt about Virginia's capability to be a really good team again. I mean, you got to take the tournament into consideration, but again, you know, one game, one horrifically bad game, but just one game and the other 34 or whatever were really, really, really good. Yeah, I mean, the thing you say about the preparation with the tournament and the regular season strikes me because I, as someone now, if you pressed me, I would say I feel comfortable with Virginia beating North Carolina in the regular season, but I would be maybe more scared to see North Carolina come tourney time. Is this just like some kind of weird visceral feeling that I have that reflects what you have always said and you keep saying, especially on your new podcast, which we should mention everyone should listen to, Ken Palm Podcast. But you keep saying, you know, off, good offense beats. Dictates. Yeah, dictates. good offense beats great defense. Or great offense beats great defense. Is that just an extension of that, or is there something different at play there? Yeah, I think uh, on a simplified level, that there is, you know, it is an extension. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, great offense tends, tends to be great defense. You know, it's like a 60-40 thing. You know, it's not that it always happens. Uh, but when you get into the tournament, too, I feel like those great offenses are even – better you know shooting is better at the end of the season than it is earlier in the season and as a defense i feel like you only have so much recourse to uh cause bad shooting you obviously have some i mean virginia's proved that over and over but when you're facing a hot shooting team uh you know they can they can on the right night can make a great defense look pretty ordinary if the shots are falling and that's just it's slightly more likely to happen later in the season than earlier in the season so I do like my thoughts on this are not completely well formed and I'm not super confident, but that is where I would start. And that's kind of like uh, the basis for my, uh, for my philosophy right now. And I think historically you look at what defense dominated teams have done in the tournament and the track record is not particularly great. I mean, there's a few successes out there, but uh, by and large, it's, it's really disappointing what, you know, heavy defensive teams end up doing in the tournament. This is why I love talking to you because we expect it to be like, oh, it's numbers, it's just going to be like stats, and then you come out and say like, ah, that, you know that old man shit that you heard about, like defense wins championships. Forget all that; it's worthless. Yeah. You want you want somebody who can shoot both. the lights out. That's all you need. Certainly. All right, kid. I'm going to zoom out and go right back into the numbers after Taylor. You know, just had that wonderful intro for me. But I would ask a little bit about your data in general. If you get an extra year at this point, and I'm trying to think of how many years you have. I think you have about 17 years logged. Does an extra year mean significantly more or less? And how do rule changes really factor in? Because certainly 2018-19 rules are dramatically different than what we saw in 04-05. Right, so are you, I guess you're referring to uh, like the pre- as far as informing the preseason ratings. Is that yes? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because you know, really, each year, like the formula, you know, it's not once we get into the season, the formula is not based on past seasons. It's just based on a formula that has 
worked in previous seasons, and I don't really tinker with it a whole lot uh, from year to year. Um, but as far as like you know, coming out with preseason ratings, obviously that is calibrated using previous seasons, and the equations change slightly. You know, when you get new data, um, but overall, you know, an extra years of data, it's, it, you know, makes the preseason rating like preseason ratings marginally more accurate. Mm. But it's uh, it's nothing crazy, and uh, and you know, you make actually a good point about how the game has evolved, and you know, how relevant would 2005 data be for 2019? I suspect, uh, you know, it's still relevant, but uh, you know, the way the game is has evolved over the past 15 years. Obviously, the more recent data you'd think would be more useful than than older data. It's a, a great uh, great question and something I should look into more, but uh, I have I have not done so because I yeah I feel like the preseason ratings are. You know, they're in the ballpark. They're just designed to get teams started kind of in the right neighborhood. And uh, and I find, like, you know, I'm rarely satisfied with things. So if I'm satisfied with how the preseason ratings look and, and how that formula works, I'm like, ah, I'm just not going to tinker with it because I'll probably – I'm more likely to make it worse than make it better. Well, now that Luke is celebrating that he gave you a suggestion that you think I'm you're going to look into, to fire away. Vegas Mike's silently in the building, celebrating. Ken, and he's waiting to fire. But Taylor, <laughs> well, Taylor's got more. So your preseason rankings – do you, uh, I'm not advertises maybe the wrong word, but you put out the word that you know teams, as in programs, could contact you and order them to get an early look, you know, and kind of like do a better job of scheduling opponents that would help their tourney chances. Did any teams contact you this off season? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know every year, uh, you know, I put out that call. I can. It's like after the first or second weekend of the tournament. Um, so most teams are done with their season by then, and uh, you know I got a handful of handful of responses, handful of teams interested in it. This was obviously also before we knew that the RPI was going to uh, be killed. So was, you know the information is kind of tailored towards the the you know kind of the concept of gaming the RPI. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, there was you know there was uh, some pretty pretty decent interest. Any ACC teams? So yeah, yeah, I was just looking at my list, and there's actually. Two ACC teams. Does, does one of the coaches rhyme with Paranega? Yeah, who are they? <laughs> what teams? Do you charge big blue bag droppers more than you do the mid majors for this information? So many, so many questions here. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is stuff that unfortunately I've been uh, you know sworn to secrecy by my lawyers, so I. Uh, can't can't reveal names or, or details of the of the contracts. Well, we now know you have multiple lawyers, so that's that's a little <laughs> bit of information. That we we just won't gathered. say anything that could count as libel. <laughs> right. Let's talk about a team that I assume did contact you for preseason ratings, and that you have stated declaratively so far that you think is the best team in the country. And it used not to be the case, but now they are ranked number one in your rankings, and that's Duke. Um, so I'm going to ask you this question. We've had a couple guests on this year. I've asked the same question. What's the recipe to beat Duke? What do you do if you're looking at the numbers, your rankings? What do you do to beat the best team in the country? Uh, that's a good question. I don't. I mean, I, I don't think there is a a real recipe out there to do that. Other than, I mean, you're going to need uh, Duke to kind of, uh, I think, get full of themselves and and you know not have a great game i mean i do think you know playing uh having a kind of a physical approach to them is going to be a start like i i do think the games against virginia are going to be really interesting because uh virginia can clearly uh you know bottle up the middle and 
uh, be physical and kind of force teams into shots they don't want to take. And right now, uh, we haven't really seen, you know, as we're recording this, there's been, you know, basically two two tough opponents they play in terms of Kentucky and San Diego State. Neither has really had success in, like, forcing Duke to do something out of their comfort zone. But, um, you know, defensively, you're going to have to do that. And uh, if you can, the more perimeter shots you can make them take, obviously, the better. Uh, so I think that is kind of the recipe defensively. But uh, I'd like to see a game where, you know, they're they, – or less than like you know 1.1 points per possession or something like that, uh, you know to really kind of Good get luck. a feel for what a, a bad Duke offensive game looks like. Not even bad, you know, just like below average. Yeah. Well, right now you're. Early suggest. I was going to say the early start suggests you know they're going to be flirting with uh, some of the best offenses that you know we've seen in the last you know 20 25 years. Wow. Mm. Well, right now your your projections, and I don't know you don't like that word, but the like odds for your the season Duke's schedule going forward have them losing two games against UVA and UNC is there if you had to come up with a third candidate you know that could get that kind of like physical you know slow the game down make them take a bunch of outside shots do you have a third candidate for who is most likely to do that stop leading the witness yeah I mean I have an answer in mind maybe is it too clear who I want to say go ahead we should uh we should be specific here, though. I have them as an underdog in, in two right, games. Right, right. I know. You don't like the word projections, right? It's a yeah, lot. Yeah, Counted, everyone. All... UVA, UNC beat Duke. A third uh, physical team you're looking for. We should have a drum roll soundtrack. I would, I, not uh, even physical, just anybody you think the best chance. Well, I mean, certainly if Syracuse gets his act together uh, with the zone. There and, it is. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, they haven't got their act together so far. The zone looks... Looks pretty ragged to this point, but um, obviously they got some time to figure that out. And if they can do that, you know, yeah, that's going to be a game where you figure uh, Duke would end up taking a lot of mid-range and a lot of three-point shots, and uh, conceivably that would uh, slow them down to some extent. There's, I think, you know, Syracuse has quite a few issues right now that I'm not too optimistic they'd be that that third team to do it. But uh, but certainly it's it's possible the way they play. Syracuse doesn't even have to win; they just have to cover the spread. From my perspective so mm. i'm gonna keep that go in big orange man yeah. that's all i'll say well i talking about spreads ken you had a you wrote this summer about uh you had a headline that immediately grabbed my attention because it said mining point spread data home court advantage and i was like yes i'm all in on this because i'm gonna become a better gambler um <laughs> and and what you kind of you already have home court advantage ratings which are very interesting to look at um, but then you, what you did is you kind of said, you, I believe in the wisdom of the crowds, and let's look at what the home, what the point spreads say about what the home court advantage should be. And you know, none of really the ACC teams jump out as like having some sort of like, you know, the betters think they're going to have an amazing home court advantage. Except, which surprised me, is Wake Forest, who they think is worth four point two points per game. Um, it's amazing. So, it really is. So, like, is there something to this wisdom of the crowds type thing when we're looking at this home court advantage? Or do you think that this is, you know, I know you say it's hard because there's a lot of noise and, and, you know, the betting markets, obviously, they they add another factor as in, like, if you're a public team or what. And there's player turnover. There's right. significant player turnover. But is, is there something to this? Like, how should we interpret that data? Right. Yeah. So just a little background. Like, I basically developed this kind of statistical model to – uh, try to tease out a team's home court advantage. And the reason I was looking at the the, the, uh, the spread information was 
as sort of a reality check on my own work. So, uh, you know, what can we infer from the the lines of the games as far as like what home court advantage each team has? And the relationship was pretty close. Like my uh, statistical method, you know, was reasonably in line with what you could get out of uh, the betting lines, and um, and so that was pretty comforting. I think, though, actually, the numbers are backwards here. So my statistical model has Wake Forest 4.2, which is the best in the ACC. And the betting markets, I forget exactly where they had them, but it was above average. It was like fifth, I think, in the ACC or something, which is still higher than, you know, if you're going to rank the top five home courts in the ACC. Like, I find it uh, – I, I would guess a few people would have Wake Forest in the top five. Yeah, yeah Lawrence, was, Joel, Veterans Memorial Coliseum. I would say that five times I was fast. very surprised. Right. Uh, and it, so uh, what I'll say is this, like when it comes to my statistical methods, uh, you know, I have a ranking from one to 351 right now, but the reality is like, there's a lot of error in those measurements. And I, I would prefer to look at it like teams in the top third have a higher than normal home court teams in the middle third are average and teams in the bottom third or below average. And that's about the safest thing you can say. So it's kind of ridiculous to like rank the teams, you know, and say that Wake Forest at whatever they are, sixth or seventh, is better than the team at tenth or eleventh. Like, there's no way I have enough precision in my data to do that. Um, but the public demands one to three one. They wouldn't be happy with me just grouping teams into three groups. So that's why I do it that way. But I, I mean, I think it is interesting to think about too that home court advantage really doesn't differ as much from site to site as we think. I mean, I think that's really the big takeaway. You know, the the difference is like the worst home court is probably one and a half points and the, the best home court is four and a half. And that's across all of division one. So when you, you know, you're looking at the better schools, the bigger crowds, like that advantage or that range is even smaller, you know, it might be like three to 4.5. So in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, some teams have better home courts than others, but that difference is uh, a lot smaller than, uh, you know, conventional wisdom, I think. So I shouldn't be putting my mortgage on Wake Forest covering at home is what you're saying. <laughs> It's a bad decision. I mean, they're you know they're the difference of their home and road performance over the last six years has been pretty stark. You know, obviously they're not great at home, but they're just completely awful on the road. They're just an abomination on the road. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so they're just a bad I mean, team. That's what you're a saying. A couple years to ago, they didn't win a game on the road, right? Or at least in conference play, I think. I don't know. Anyway, Ken, we got to yeah, wrap I mean, this thing up. Last question: If we're looking at ACC teams. Perhaps let's steer clear of Duke, Virginia, and North Carolina, and even Syracuse. So, a team to watch that's producing thus far, according to your algorithm. Who should we pay attention to? A team to watch. I, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the top half is all pretty strong. I don't know, like, that I'm going to have a real like wild card that people aren't expecting. I do think Clemson is a team that they haven't, you know, really played anyone to start out. Uh, um, they're currently down in what the Cayman Islands playing in some tournament whose corporate name escapes me at the moment. But, uh, um, I think that's a team. I think they've like one of the oldest starting lineups in the country, uh, maybe the oldest. Uh, so a lot of experience there, not necessarily, you know, a lot of big name guys, but I do think that's a team that, uh, should fare pretty well this year. And they're not really, I know they're ranked in the top 25. It doesn't seem like anybody's giving them a, a whole lot of publicity. So that would yeah. be, uh, to me, a team to, to watch. Well, you said that last year in the show, and you know what? It really turned out well for us. It, it turned out well for our audience as they trekked all the way to the Sweet 16 and uh, gave Kansas a run for its money. Well, Ken, thank you so much. You're such a gracious guest. 
It's good to hear you laughing on the other end of the line, which means you have not completely turned yourself into a cyborg yet, and we really appreciate that. Check out this man's podcast, please. It's Welcome to the Land of Podcasting. It's good to have you as a brother in this industry now. I just want to say that first and foremost. Well, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm working my way up. The, the, you know, the, the production isn't quite on your level yet, but what we're getting there. A lucrative industry and also, in which we are all rich. Please subscribe, folks, to the Pomeroy Numbers at KenPalm.com. Taylor, how many years are you running on this? On your subscription? Subscription? I don't Our know. Subscriptions. What are, we're dating back, what are we, uh, four or five years, right? Four-ish? I don't know. Ish. Anyway, Ken, thanks so much. For I don't know, time. but we share that password all over the place. So, Ken, just <laughs> pretend like you are not <laughs> that listening. That is not I, true. I assume you're like Netflix and you just, you know, we're spreading it out. We're spreading the gospel, all that good stuff. Love it, love it. Don't disable my account. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, we're going to have to chat with this man come March, all right, when uh, we get more data for all these teams. Thank you so much, Ken. Take care. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Well, you know, that's one of my favorite traditions on this podcast. I think we really got him. We got him going. It was like we were tickling him over the line. That is a very disturbing image in my mind, but it's yes. a vivid image. Vivid image. That's right. Well, that's guest number one, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go on and motor right to guest number two. We're glad to welcome in our next guest here on the ACC Basketball Degenerates podcast. And we're going to do another deep dive, folks. We love X's and O's just as much as you do. So we're glad to welcome in a former video coordinator at New Mexico State and current runner of Hoop Vision 68. That is a YouTube channel you should certainly check out. And also, speaking of podcasts, he runs Solving Basketball, the Solving Basketball podcast. Let's welcome in Jordan Sperber to the program for some analysis on X's and O's and more concerning UVA teams and more. Of course, having ties to New Mexico State, which has a special part in Vegas Mike's life. He's not here right now, but Taylor, uh, lead the conversation. First of all, welcome, Jordan. Glad to have you. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Jordan, let me, let's me let dive right in. Um, you know, your most recent interaction with ACC teams was Clemson and Miami last season. New Mexico State played both of them. Um Let's look first at uh, Clemson. That's the team that New Mexico State lost to in the tournament. So can you kind of describe for us the process of looking at analytics and video um, that you guys went through when you were prepping for that game against Clemson? And what was kind of the strategy? What were the takeaways for how you approached that game? For sure. So it's a little bit different being an NCAA tournament game. Actually, we went to the NCAA tournament two years in a row at New Mexico State while I was there. And the first year... We played Baylor in the first round, and we were on a plane during the selection show, coming back from Vegas, for our, which is where our conference tournament was. And so almost as soon as we landed was when the bracket was coming out, and basically there was just like a collective murmur in the plane uh, that we were playing Baylor. Uh, for, for Clemson, we were the next year we were at a, a watch party, and I actually am in the back of the watch party uh, getting ready to download games for whoever is about to be announced. Um, so I, as a video coordinator, you try to guess who you might be playing um, right. to have a couple have a couple games downloaded for a few different teams, and then as soon as that comes out, it's like full force for the next good 72 hours, I would say. Um and and yeah, we we were the trendy pick, so we we get we get picked and and or we get selected. To Seth play Clemson Davis put and, on the pressure immediately. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I think I'm pretty sure Charles Barkley picked us too. 
I'm sure he can't name a player on New Mexico State. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, so that, that was something that we were battling, I guess, the whole week. is we, we were definitely a team with an underdog mentality, and it seemed like everyone was taking us, so it, we didn't really feel like underdogs. It, it, we were trying to stress to our players that uh, just because we were being picked doesn't mean we were going to win the game. Um, and, and Clemson was a really good team. They went on to uh, crush... Auburn, I believe. In, Played in, Kansas tight, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep, exactly. Um, and and they, 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 they were a really good team last year. Uh, we didn't – we rose to the level of our competition in almost every game. Uh, last year we went 28-6. and six. We beat Miami, which we're going to talk about, I, I believe. Um, but but that game, they you know, we were pretty much out of it the whole way. They they're really good on defense. Brad Brownell teams are always really really good defensively, um, and, and they run pretty good stuff on offense too. So sometimes you'll get some coaches that are so invested in the defensive side of the ball that their offense is kind of a mess. Um, but but at the worst, I would say Clemson's offense is very functional. They run a lot of stuff. It was a, it was a hard scout for four or five days. Um, uh, and and they gave us a lot of trouble. So when you say it was a hard scout, does that mean and they run a lot of stuff? Like how much do you think the players are internalizing of like the different sets and actions that they that they run? How much does it just revert to, especially at turning time? Like, hey, let's just uh, you know let's just go back to what we do well, our base stuff. There's definitely a lot of that. I think we were pretty a pretty scout heavy team uh, last year, Coach Jans the head coach at New Mexico State, um, he was like the the game planner for Wichita State during their Final Four runs as an assistant coach. Um, so he, ha- he has that scouting background. And I will say that by that time of year, we've done so many scouts. We've done ballroom walkthroughs at the conference tournament. We've done all this stuff that I think they're actually better at it, um, at, at learning stuff quickly and also as you can imagine the buy-in for the NCAA tournament is so high that it's not like playing a, a division two team in in the middle of November like everyone's locked in they they understand the importance of of uh I guess internalizing all that information um and we I would say if there was a spectrum between um giving teams a lot of information on scouting versus not a lot we were probably on the higher end of that spectrum yeah so with all that knowledge that you got from last year, obviously Clemson has lost uh, Gabe DeVoe and, and Grantham also, although he didn't factor with you guys. But so yeah. how do you like you, you know that this team still pretty well. How do you think people will try and attack Clemson or if you were the coach, what would you do? Like what kind of sets and schemes would you try and attack them with? Yeah, uh, they're they're uh, one thing that won't lack from from losing DeVoe and Grantham is is their defense like Brad Brownell teams are always really really good on defense Um, they actually when we played them they started um, David Scara who hadn't who hadn't started at least at that point in the season hadn't been starting games just to uh, basically he was in the game just to box out our foreman our power forward who was one of the best rebounders in the country which is a little bit it's shows you a little bit of the difference between a, a mid-major and a high-major. We don't necessarily have like a utility guy off the bench that can come in and fit a role just like that. Like we were going to start our starting five. They can, they can tweak it a little bit based off of our personnel. Um, and, and yeah, they, they have a lot of guys back. Uh, they're tough. They're, we, we, uh, in our conference, we're, we were a team that could 
break people down off the bounce in isolation and, and ball screen situations. And we really didn't get any good looks against Clemson, or at least easy looks against Clemson. Um, so, yeah, you, you got to spread them out for sure. Um, they, they're, they're not a deny team. They're a gap team where they're going to get um, – they're going to sag off a little bit and, and make you beat them as opposed to them trying to generate turnovers, and, and we weren't really able to do that. I have a fascination with scouting as far as do you name players? Do you just name their numbers? Do you say Elijah Thomas? <laughs> do you say number 14 when yep. you're going through film? And also, when you are in the position of, say, New Mexico State and you're going up against physical teams like Clemson and Miami who have players like Elijah Thomas, they all, like Dewan Huell, a.k.a. Dewan Hernandez now, yep. what's – What's the scout like when you're just showing really muscular athletic players on film? Is it just stay in front, stay position? What's the what's the mantra? Yeah, uh, I would say for for a guy like, for guys like that, a lot sometimes the terminology used is build walls, build walls. Um, it, it depends on the guy, but um, some some postmen are angle scorers where you, they need to have an angle, so it's all about positioning. Um, other guys have have legitimate post moves uh, like dribble dribble drops and, and things like that. And we, we would chart uh, how often they go over their left shoulder, how often they go over their right shoulder. We don't necessarily give that information to the players in terms of the the numbers, but we would say this guy likes to go to the left shoulder. Exactly. Um, and and yes, yeah, so there's there's data behind it doesn't necessarily have to be to the players. Some players like some players like the numbers for sure. Um, it depends on the guy. Uh, but yeah, you you and then there's the other side of it with those type of guys is the defensive part of it too. So sometimes those bigger guys aren't very good in ball screens. Um, so so we would definitely show some clips about how we want to attack them. Yeah. Fantastic information right there. Yeah, I love it. Let's uh so now we know how to beat Miami. They're a gap team, and I love your breakdown. One of the things you talk about, you know, on your YouTube channel, is uh, gap versus deny teams. And yeah, I think you use Virginia as one of the classic examples of like a gap team versus a deny team. Yep. Um, and I, I just love. Is there when you're thinking about that dichotomy of those two teams, which do you feel, if you're not familiar with it, is harder to prepare for? Because you know, here a lot of people say like, oh, they're not ready for the pack line in a, on a short turnaround. They're not ready for whatever the press on a short turnaround do you what what do you feel is like the biggest difference for coaches when you're preparing for these yeah that's a great question i it probably has something to do with your personnel um so if if you're playing against a deny team uh you're going to be playing in more advantage situations advantage meaning that they're going to gamble for some steals and hopefully because they gambled and they didn't get it you're going to be playing four on three and that's if you want to break down offense to like the most simplest thing possible. It's you're trying to create a four on three. That's what a ball screen is. It's to try to create a ball uh, a four on three. Um, and so deny teams because they're trying to generate these turnovers, they'll help you in creating those four on threes. Gap teams, you don't run the risk of turning the ball over, which is great, but it's super hard to create those four on threes. So if you have isolation guys, if you have creators, then maybe you'd rather play a pack team. Um, if if you don't and you need a little bit of help to, to generate that stuff, then maybe you'd rather play someone that gambles. Obviously, 
um, you run the risk of, of turnovers, which lead to baskets on the other end. So it's, it's, it depends on your personnel for sure. It really is fantastic. We cover the ACC, so we have both ends of the spectrum. We have the, the ultimate pack, which is Virginia, and the ultimate pressure, which is, I think, Florida State. Would you agree with that, Terry? Right now, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, how, yeah. If yep. you're if you're say you're scouting at Florida State, like what's the message? I, I'd assume it's a little bit different. Maybe it's be aggressive with the drive compared to being aggressive with the shot against say Virginia. Yeah, and the problem with Florida State, uh, you know, I, I don't think I, I don't think that we've played anyone quite like them. Is they're so huge up front, so that that's they can get away with those denials and and protect the rim still. So that's I mean that's why Leonard Hamilton always has great teams um you're right though i they uh they they're they're super tough to to play against now you hope that leonard hamilton obviously likes defense you hope that having all those defenders out on the court means that uh they're not going to score and you hope they foul a lot right right fouls too and that that factors into the whole um pack line versus denial too when you're in when you're in denial situations, then uh, you might have to foul on the back end as you're trying to protect the rim. Uh, so definitely, uh, like a point of emphasis would probably be to go right at their bigs, go right at their bigs, and and uh, and get to the foul line. Yeah. So what I'm taking away from this is that when I'm gambling and I'm betting against a team with a, a gap defense, I should really hone in on if the offense has that one stud score, that one ISO guy. Whereas a, a balanced approach isn't really worth as much. And for sure, a, that's, that's what that's, I want to look for. Yeah, that's interesting, and I've tried to do some of that stuff. From this was actually before um, I worked in college basketball. I I tried to look at matchups so that, that you're kind of talking about using like um, categorical variables, meaning pack line or, or whatever styles, um, to try to figure out uh, the spread or, or just predicting games in general. Uh, and it's really, really hard to do, uh, but potentially could potentially could provide some value uh, that isn't already baked into the line. Yeah. Well, let's move on to a game that you guys did win last year in New Mexico State. You guys beat uh, Miami down in Honolulu. You guys won by nine on a neutral court. I don't know if you were favored or not, but I'm guessing maybe Miami was at that point in the season. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But, yeah, um, Miami was actually uh, six in the country in one poll and seven in the country in the other, in another poll at that time. They were undefeated, so yeah. The thing, so I, same kind of things I want to talk about is how did you plan for that? What kind of like strategies did you look at? And in particular, it's looking back at the box score of that game. It really uh, stood out to me that you held Miami to just eleven percent from three point range, and and forced fourteen turnovers. Was there kind of a specific game plan that you guys did to? on the defensive end to, to look at those factors, or did that just kind of happen as a natural result of other stuff? Yeah, uh, we, were, we were a defensive-heavy team last year to begin with. Um, our, like I said, we, uh, Clemson was the one game where we didn't really rise to the level of our competition, but, uh, but we definitely did against Miami. Um, we were more of a deny team. Uh, well, with, we, had, we had a little, tendencies of both. Um, but we started out possessions in deny. We wanted to take away first passes. Um, and uh, Miami, they, they run a lot of ball screens. Um, and fortunately, we did a pretty good job of, of, uh, of defending them. Bruce Brown was still healthy at the time, so we did, we did play them at full strength. And really, I think that we both played a style similar to 
what our average style of play was. It wasn't like a freak game necessarily. Uh, we, we were able to offensive rebound. We were a really good offensive rebounding team. We were able to offensive rebound against them, something that we didn't do at all against Clemson. Um, and got some second-chance points there, and it, it was close. We pulled away um, towards the end of the game. Yeah. So what, this year, when you look at Miami's team, obviously they lost Bruce Brown, Lonnie Walker's gone. My take, to you know, to, to ask you the definition of a leading question, is that I'm kind of hoping the offense will run a little smoother and be better in a way that there's no ball stoppers, like, you know, to mess up the flow of the screens, the offense. How do you see... Miami playing out this year, and what do you think teams will do to stop them or attack them specifically um, with your knowledge of of their team last year? Yeah, uh, Chris Likes, who is definitely their lead playmaker this year, he didn't play a ton, I don't think, in our game. I don't think he was playing that much at that point in the year yet, especially Mm -hmm. with the healthy Bruce Brown. Um, You could definitely tell he's super talented. Uh, we have we have a or we ha- at New Mexico State has a guard who is a similar size and just as fast. Uh, there wasn't many games we played where anyone was nearly as fast as him, and Chris Likes definitely is. Um, so I I think offensively that he's going to be a big factor in how efficient they can be, and I'm not necessarily sure. I haven't really seen him enough to to have an answer to that question. Um, but actually, I listened to a podcast in the off season of uh, Miami's associate—I think he's associate head coach Chris Caputo—and he talked about how Miami runs all these ball screens. Um, that's pretty much their offense is just spread ball screen, spread ball screen. And he talked about how they didn't do that at George Ma- at George Mason. That wasn't Jim Laranega's thing, but they got into the ACC. And the, there was just such good big men, all these NBA bigs, and they weren't recruiting at that level quite yet. And so their their uh, evolution was to run these ball screens to try to get the bigs away from the basket in the ACC, and and that's how they've become this this ball screen offense team. Love it. Let's uh, let's move on to another ACC team that you guys didn't face, but you've broken them down a lot on your YouTube channel and your podcast, and that's Duke. Obviously, everybody talks about Duke a lot, but you particularly talked about their how their pace and space worked when they just dominated Kentucky, and you know you also even looked at some of their the trips they took in the summer, um, and so you know looking at that, my question is immediately: Is there something that sets them apart, strategy or X's and O's wise, besides their talent? You know, because obviously people are going to focus on their talent, but is there something there more than just really really good players? What's and what is that? Well, <laughs> I would frame it as what they're doing X's and O's scheme-wise, it's not hurting them at all. <laughs> so they're not, they're not messing up the talent, <laughs> um, which is pro- when you have a team that is as talented as them, that's, pro- that's probably the goal is just do something that at least um, lets them be themselves. Um, so yeah, what my what my initial analysis after that Champions Classic was is how they were playing so much different than the other three teams in the Champions Champions Classic. So Kentucky, uh, Michigan State, and Kansas were all pounding the ball inside uh, to Bigs, and Kentucky was pl- or sorry Duke was playing this all uh, oh, five out if Bolden's in the game, more like four out. Um, pretty much just space and play really fast. They're not super complicated at all, but as we're seeing, they're probably the best offensive team in the country. Um, 
because of all the talent they have and the fact that it, it looks like they're going to be just fine shooting the ball. There was some uh, – weren't positive about how well they're going to shoot from outside going into the year, but so far so, so good, good in that yeah, area. Yeah, surprised. I think I was team Duke can't shoot, and then I was embarrassed immediately. But <laughs> um, Yeah, yeah. So, so what do you think about then, like, analytics-wise – what it, what can we see in terms of them balancing the scores on the floor? And then if you're an opposing coach, how do you beat that? You know, what's the recipe? If you're going to if you're going to make up a recipe right now to stop Duke, w- what would you put in it? Yeah, so this was actually the topic of of my podcast Solving Basketball that came out today. I had a I had Army's assistant coach. They played Duke the, the the second game of the season after that Kentucky game, and, and we talked. His name's Zach Bover, and we talked about. Um, He's a friend. He's been on our pod. We love. Oh, him. he has. Okay, okay, very cool. Um, yeah, so uh, we talked about what Army's game plan was. He was pretty candid about it. Obviously, they don't play Duke again, so it's not not giving away too many uh, big secrets and. Well, there's the what national they, title game, so don't forget about that. Army <laughs> You're right. You're right. Um, yeah. So what what they did was was pack. We've been talking about all this deny and pack stuff. They're, they're a pack line team to begin with, and they basically just held their their gaps a little bit longer. It didn't necessarily work, um, but we did talk about a little bit the fact that if a team can do that, but also has the length and the and athleticism to recover at the shooters. And and I mean, if we're if we have to name a team, that that's we're sounding like Virginia when, when we talk like that. So I'm definitely interested to see those two matchups between Duke and Virginia this year. Yeah, it's awesome. So moving on from kind of broad things to more decision making in game, you have talked a lot or written about how coaches can use analytics to drive their decision making in game, especially. And basically, you found that like you know it's nuanced problems. You're in the flow of the moment you're not going to like, you know, whip out a regression analysis on the sideline. Maybe some coaches do. I don't know. Um, but uh, but there's a general framework that they can think about. Can you just like quickly summarize what you, you know, your broad conclusions talking about that framework that coaches use? Yep. So it's based off of the four factors, which was created by Dean Oliver and in the college basketball world has been popularized by Ken Pomeroy for sure. Um, Dean Oliver is is more of an NBA guy. He's worked he worked for several NBA teams, um, and those four factors are shooting, turnovers, rebounds, and free throws. Um, and so, what what that framework is is anything beyond those four factors are indirectly feeding into them. So, you can talk about team chemistry or hustle, or even something like passing. Those all matter, but but at, at, at the end of the day, the bottom line that they're feeding into is that shooting, turnovers, rebounds, and free throws. So one thing that I tried to get our staff um, to think about was any decision that we made, literally anything, um, how those four, and it's really eight because you have four on offense and four on defense, so how those eight are are going to be impacted by that decision. Yeah, I love the description you gave of those being possession enders yes and i just like thinking about it i'm like yeah that makes so much sense of course that's the way possessions end you either score you turn it over whatever um are there any coaches 
I'm going to fish for an ACC coach, but you can name somebody nationally too who you think are really great, you know, using that framework to make in-game decisions. Uh, it's hard to say without knowing um without knowing the behind the scenes what goes on you know we we see decisions being made we don't necessarily see why um man i don't know uh the the cop out answer to all this stuff would be would be Brad Stevens he was kind of the initial coach to uh to incorporate some of this analytic stuff specifically he was looking at lineups at Butler, and in I think this four factors framework that we're talking about, how certain substitutions would would affect his four factors. Yeah, there it is. Insights from Jordan Sperber, former scouts at Nevada and also New Mexico State, most recently last season. Really good stuff. You can check him out at the Solving Basketball podcast and also his YouTube channel, which will be very insightful. Hoop Vision sixty eight. We really appreciate his time. What a great look yeah. at the X's and O's. All right, gentlemen. That was nice. That was wonderful. Wait, wait, wait. Vegas wait. Mike, is, he's wait. arrived. Should we just, introduce him? I just got here. <laughs> Who have you guys been talking to? What's been going on? Can you guys give me a two-minute summary? Did you like need to take a break, a week off, after your conversation with <laughs> our good friend over at Screen the Screener? Well, Not I, other you than know, Gus? I, I trusted you guys would conduct both interviews so professionally that I felt like I didn't need to be here, but did, did you, you feel like you got some good information? Did you just empty out your gas tank, your lifeblood just got I really did. depleted? You know, I quit smoking six years ago, or at least that's what I told my life insurance agent, and I almost started again after that Gus Kearns interview. It was great. But more importantly, you guys interviewed... Ken Pomeroy, we did, who's one of my well. favorite guys of all mm-hmm. time. He gave you some nuggets? Yeah, you're going to have to go back and listen. To Duke is good. Duke is good. Also Guess UNC, spoiler. also UVA, pretty good. Guess right. who else is here? Guthrie is in the house. He's arrived. Gentlemen, it's good, to to be, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. Well, you know what? We've got more business to attend to, just the four of us. So stay tuned, folks. A brand new episode is right around the corner. You get to double dip with us tonight. So stay tuned. Do I need an outro for this, or just a cold, cold cut? Play the, play the music. Play the music. There you go. Yeah. Oh, it's like a Radiohead album. In between, shoot us an email while you're responding to this episode and getting ready for the next one. ACCBBowlDegens at gmail.com. We love your questions. We want to answer them on air. Uh, tweet at us, ACCBBowlDegens. Look for us, ACC Basketball Degenerates, on Facebook. Um, and just tell your friends, you know, word of mouth. That's a powerful tool. Yeah, and check out our guests as well. That's right. They give up a good portion of their time just for free. It's a free podcast. Give them a follow. If you want to hear specific guests, let us know. We try to get people that uh, we know our listeners would enjoy and gain something from. So if you have somebody special, send us a note. All right, that's going to do it. Stay tuned, boys. we got more work to do.